Welcome to the Enchanted Ears Podcast, where we discuss anything and everything Disney. I'm Angela. And I'm Joe. And on today's episode, we're recapping our recent adventure to the grand opening of the Disney 100 exhibition over at the Franklin Institute at uh, Philadelphia. And I have to say, no spoilers here, but we may or may not be minor celebrities now. Well, I, I mean, we could talk about this. I didn't want to. I was going to bring this up later, but there were signs everywhere because we were, we were there opening day. Mm-hmm. The, the first day it opened February eighteenth. It was a Saturday over President's Day weekend. So we went out to Philadelphia. We were there first ticket. As soon as this thing opened, we were there. But there were signs everywhere that there's going to be recording in progress because obviously it's new, so they want to capture footage and everything. And so it said, you know, basically like if if you walk past this point, you agree to be filmed, which is normal. But then there was like a line on it. I don't remember the exact wording, but I've never <laughs> seen this before. It was very Marvel, I feel like. Yeah, it was like it was like you you basically agree that that we can record you and your likeness can be used in perpetuity throughout it, the universe. It was like very Marvel meets Kevin O'Leary. Yeah. Like <laughs> not 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 galaxy, not planet. Like it's not like we can use this throughout the planet or throughout our galaxy, throughout the universe. So our likeness and image could be beamed across the known universe we're basically becoming gaia we're becoming international (laughs) or intergalactic celebrities here (laughs) well i think that they might use any videos that we're involved in to negotiate universal peace that's That's what what i think it was just it was so weirdly worded because it's such like a, a legal thing to say of like well you know, maybe we send this to space one day this recording it and was then very some, strange and then somebody would sue us because like if if you're using your recording on earth and then it's like somebody sends it to space like well, i'm gonna sue you you never said you could use it in the universe but whatever <laughs> it was interesting but the other thing is they actually asked us for if they could interview us for like our thoughts yes. so we actually may be in some promotional material giving our thoughts on how great this experience was. Yeah, it was happen- after you started dancing to DuckTales that they're like, excuse me, um, <laughs> could we talk to you for a second? So I think they saw you acting a fool and were like, these people look fun. Yeah, I mean, we did give some pretty pretty good answers. So if you happen to run across this video before we do and uh, you can send us a link or something, please do because I think they'll probably use us. But it was a lot of fun, but we will we will get into that. But before we do a couple things, I want to cover the Disney news first of the week, as we always do. Um, so Disney dropped some concept art, some images for the new villas they're building over at the Disneyland Hotel. And these things look incredible, specifically the two and three bedroom grand villas, which are essentially, I think it's, it's just a three bedroom one that's a two story suite. Um, this thing looks like some sort of penthouse condo you see in New York City that some Wall Street gajillionaire lives in. Mm-hmm. Um, not not something you know you typically see at like a Disney resort. So it looks incredible. They're all themed. I think the first floor is themed to, to Bambi in this one. And the second floor seemed themed to something else. My question was, I put this out on our Instagram, uh, Enchanted Ears Podcast over on Instagram. How much do you think this is going to cost? Because I have to imagine this is going to be thousands if not ten thousand dollars a night to stay at the the three bedroom two-story villa but it looks beautiful i want to stay there yeah it definitely you know you the aesthetic you're right you nailed it it's sort of like that it has all the, a lot of glass and a lot of metal on the outside very modern or uh, i don't know uh, my my style descriptions aren't very good but like it has a very modern feel to it like you said like uh tony stark would maybe live there kind of look to it but 
yeah, I think it's going to be super expensive. Like, I think it might even top out the Star Cruiser. Like, I, I don't oh, think there's any way that's less than I that. I mean, the at, at Disneyland, they have the themed um, hotel rooms. Like, they have like the Adventureland one. I think there's one on Big Thunder uh, mm-hmm. Mountain. And I think those can run up to six, $7,000 a night. So I think the three-bedroom uh, Grand Villa, which sleeps up to 12 people. So even if it's six or seven thousand dollars a night and you have 12 people it's only 500 bucks a person which is basically what you're paying for like the polynesian you know grand floridian uh, maybe a little bit more but it's not as unreasonable so i think you're at least looking uh, at that amount i will say it, it's like you mentioned it's very modern very sleek which i like that design but i could see a lot of people knocking it that mm-hmm. again this is disney going non-theme it, it's there's nothing disney about it per se right. other than maybe artwork but it's just like the theme is like super sophisticated which isn't necessarily a disney thing it's just a high end hotel yeah you know it is kind of interesting because i know um yeah, a lot of Disney bloggers and stuff have been knocking them on that lately. And at first I was like, and oh, rightfully it looks so, so nice. R- rightfully so, because well, they have been turning away from theming. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like at first I was like, but it looks so nice. But yeah, now like they're doing it a lot. And I, now that I'm a little bit more attuned to it, I recognize that like it's just it, it makes them look too much like, you know, a Marriott, which I've seen a lot. You know, it looks like a Marriott. You can go stay in a Marriott anywhere. When you're on Disney property, you want to see something that's more distinctly disney and it kind of is turning a little bit away from that but having said that if they would offer us you know a free night stay for in exchange for us doing a full review on our podcast you know it would be a tough sell for me uh, i don't really know that i, I don't think that's gonna happen fully so. want to do that but i guess i would if you really twisted my arm a little bit so i believe this is going to be a dvc tower at disneyland so i think all these villas are, are ultimately going to be part of dvc so they'll be expanding DVC at Disneyland. So I think this is also kind of similar to probably the aesthetic they're going for at the new tower they're building at the Polynesian. Again, this kind of just upscale, non-theme theme. I think what what happens is, you're right, a lot of people have been saying, you know, Disney's turning away from theme. They're, they're not doing what makes them special. But I think if you look at these, like a three-bedroom villa, a two-story thing, again, that's going to cost you probably six plus thousand dollars a night. I have to imagine the clientele that can afford that are used to staying at five-star luxury resorts and they probably don't care about the theming like they they probably want like they're they're probably more inclined to enjoy this just ultra high-end luxury because sometimes if you think like if you think about it you could maybe see some of the theming if you don't do it right as maybe a little bit dated and if it's not your style you're maybe not going to like this, but again, people that are spending six, seven thousand dollars plus a night on a hotel room probably are more likely to go with, "Hey, this is tried and true. I know it's good. I'm more likely to stay here versus maybe a theme I don't care for." Yeah, when we did our adventures by Disney, we did stay in a couple four and five star hotels. For me, what I was interested in was probably like the little things, like the chocolates on the pillows and the slippers that they gave you for free, and so. I mean, that's that's our experience with it. And I know that a lot of people, you know, might only stay in those kinds of hotels. But I feel like, you know, whenever you take that, you can kind of copy and paste some of those little extras over in Disney. But you can still do a really 
nice theme with that and just do like a clean version of it where, you know, you still incorporate a lot of that feel, particularly like the building aesthetic. When I'm thinking of like the poly, they're building a tower and the tower. It well, looks- I think that's the problem is, is you can't you can't stick with the Polynesian theme with a tower. Right. You know, I mean, I think you could theme the rooms really well. You could do that. But like the fact that it's a tower is just right there is just out of place. It's just a really strange direction that they're heading in. And I don't particularly love it. All right. Sticking at Disneyland, uh, this was the huge news of the week that Disney announced that coming to the Hyperion Theater this summer for a limited time is going to be Rogers the Musical. So we've we've talked about this. I mean, I think ever since it showed up in Hawkeye, we're like, they got to turn this into a real musical. We, we need to see more of this. Uh, and Disney is doing that. So I believe Frozen was the most recent show running at the Hyperion, and I think it was Aladdin before that. Um, so it's going to be a one-act uh, Rogers the musical. It's opening at some point this summer. They say it's a limited time. I don't know how this thing doesn't run for a while because I imagine it's going to be extremely popular because uh, it yeah. seemed like everybody was talking about it because it kind of came out of nowhere, but it's. I feel like it's something that everybody wanted to see. So it's it's right. very exciting. Yeah. And I mean, you and I were talking about this this week a lot. And, you know, the, the things that came out of the Hyperion Theater... You know, you have Aladdin and, and Frozen, like you said, that became full-fledged musicals. So, you know, if this is this does well, which it will, I have a feeling that it's going to be one of those things like Nintendo World. Like, it's going to be impossible to get into because so many people are going to want to go and see it. I have a feeling that they're going to develop it into a full-fledged musical that will be on Broadway. Yeah, I'm going to say within five years this is on Broadway, that it's a full show. Because I think the fact that they're, they've are they built out one act, yeah, it seems like the Hyperion Theater is kind of a feeder system for their Broadway shows, or at least stuff that like goes on the ship. So I'm going to say within five years that this thing is a, is a full musical on Broadway, uh, and I will be there opening night because I am all for this. I think it's great. Um, I think the idea of Rogers the musical it's funny the fact that it's kind of meta it's in universe and now it's a real thing makes it that much better and and the one song they wrote for Hawkeye was great so I think if they can just build on that um that, it, I can it'll do all, this all be day. good yeah so I, I think it's just gonna be better but I, I say yeah within five years this thing becomes a full-fledged musical yeah and a lot of the um musicals that are coming up on Broadway right now are incredible we just saw Beetlejuice which was fantastic I don't even like the movie Beetlejuice that much but the musical was amazing and we also saw Anne Juliet little plug for that if you live near New York City and you can go see Anne Juliet it's a new take on Romeo and Juliet it's so refreshing and fun and particularly if you like jukebox musicals all right and then we did get a question this week from mark b so mark writes my son wife and i are huge fans of disney world and i've just started listening to your podcast so you may have already answered this question on a previous episode i haven't made it to yet but so here comes a question when you guys go to epcot canada first or mexico first this is the age-old question and then he writes didn't realize how many people were passionate about this decision (laughs) until i started following some bloggers on instagram thanks for the podcast look forward to future episodes so thanks mark for your question Uh, and you're right people are extremely passionate about canada or mexico first i think maybe except for us because i feel (laughs) like we we have i think talked about this before and i feel like i probably give a different answer every time we answer it but I don't think we are, one, we're not 
big drinkers. And I think that's where yeah. it comes to. I think a lot of people are very passionate. You got to go to Mexico first. You got to get a margarita. If you're drinking around the world, you got to start at Mexico. We typically don't do that. So we don't really care. I think we probably go to Canada first as many times more. as we go to Mexico. I'd I, say Canada probably a little bit more. I think it depends on what we're doing. If we're trying to go right. to Frozen, we'll head to Mexico because that's yeah. obviously quicker. If we're trying to go to Remy uh, or something like that, um, we will go to Canada. I think there's probably also as many times as we go that we come in by France. We come in the International Gateway yeah. entrance and we go to France or Japan first. So I don't think we're the correct people to ask this question <laughs> for because um, I don't think we care either way. But it definitely is a, uh, a very passionate uh, fan base either way of like, if you're a person that's Mexico, you think Canada people are crazy. If you're Canada, you think Mexico people are crazy. I think we're kind of like right down the middle. I'm going to living with the land. I don't care about what country I'm going to. I'm going to the land pavilion is I think ultimately what my answer is. Yeah, I think that a lot of times also when we go to Epcot, we determine where we're going based on the festival food. So we might say uh, like if there's a good booth over by Canada, then that's where we head. Um, if there's a good booth over by Mexico, then that's where we head. So we really kind of plan, like Joe was saying, plan our route based on what we want to do, not based on the country. But I will say, if we're talking about rides, though, I actually really like the Canada Far and Wide video because you have Catherine O'Hara and Eugene Le Levy doing the narrations for that versus the Grand Fiesta Tour ride. Um, which is a little bit dated, but also hilarious. And I've said in past episodes, that's a can't be missed attraction over in Epcot because it can be pretty funny. All right. So Mark, thanks for your question. If, if any of our, thanks, other, Mark. if any of our other listeners uh, have a question they want to ask, head over to our website, enchantedearspodcast.com slash podcast question. And you can ask your question over there. We'll answer it on a future episode. All right. So let's jump into our main topic this week. So like we mentioned at the start of the show, we went out to Philadelphia at their Franklin Institute, where they had the start of the Disney 100 exhibition. And that is running through August. If you're interested, uh, is then I believe moving to Chicago and Kansas City uh, at some point to finish out the North American tour. And then we'll be going over to Europe to at least London uh, and Germany uh, at some point this year into next year as well. I don't know if there's official dates on that yet, but you can definitely uh, visit it in Philadelphia through August. And just a little bit of background for people who may not be uh, familiar with this and may maybe have not heard about it. It is a uh, exhibit that basically is showing off the Disney archives, they have over 250 items. They kind of call them the, the Disney crown jewels um, that are basically throughout the 100-year history of the company. A lot of them are original. A lot, some of them are reproductions a lot of, of originals, yeah. um, but there's, there's definitely a lot of original stuff there. there. It's broken up into 10 different galleries, and it covers about 15,000 square feet. So it's a pretty big uh, exhibition. It, it <laughs> can take you quite a while to walk through it. Yeah, when we were halfway through, I thought we were done. So that, that tells you about how much there is. Yeah, I, I would say, you know, calling them the crown jewels, I <laughs> I was like waiting to see a lot of, I don't know. I don't know what I was thinking I was going to see, but the Sleeping Beauty prop book is there. And that is like crown jewel because you have all the little um, all the little gems in the cover of the Sleeping Beauty book. And it was really awesome to see in person. Yeah, so some of the 
I guess, more historic items um, that they have of kind of, yeah, like the, the crown jewels that they talked about. So they have a story script page from Steamboat Willie. They have a concept drawing of Disneyland. I believe that one is a recreation. They have the actual Nautilus that they used for filming of 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. They have a model of the Jungle Cruise attraction that Walt actually used on the TV show at, to kind of promote Disneyland. Um, they have the, the BB-8 puppet from the Star Wars uh, movies, which is the actual one. And what I thought was really cool uh, is the uh, Matterhorn bobsled ride vehicle from one of the original ones from the attraction over at Disneyland. So, so those are some of the things you can you can see. Those are some of the kind of the, the bigger name ones they're promoting. But a- as we mentioned, it's spread out over 10 galleries. And some of the stuff like blends from like one to another, mm-hmm. but the galleries are kind of focused on different eras and it's interesting it's interesting because it starts kind of right at the beginning and it it starts with mickey mouse it starts with oswald Oswald, steamboat willie that's kind of very brief you know I, i you kind of quickly go past all of that where it's kind of the original stories and it's before sound and everything like that and very kind of rudimentary animation i think you mentioned there's even a sign where they kind of like slam walt a little bit oh, with like yeah. like the laughogram stuff like wasn't that good so like it briefly touches on that but then it very quickly gets into okay snow white like like the company's really rolling yeah the sign for the laughograms the sentence that i was like Ooh, i can't believe they actually said this was it says Walt's first attempts at creating short story-based cartoons are primitive and rely on amusing situations and gags rather than plot or characterization, but are but they are bright, funny, and show Walt's inventive mind experimenting and exploring the possibilities of animated storytelling. What a sentence. That was a long sentence there. They needed a little semicolon in there somewhere. <laughs> yeah. But, but but it's interesting. I mean, that that was one, I think, point, like you said, you're wow, like you're kind of surprised they were a little bit like critical. I will say that was that was probably one thing. I mean, overall it was the exhibition was great. It was really interesting to see all this stuff. We'll we'll kind of get into it a little bit more here, but I think one thing I thought was missing, maybe two things. One, I don't know that it covered like Roy a lot in terms of oh, the history uh, yeah. of the company, but two, I don't know that it really gave rise to the struggles the company went to. I mean, it was very much focused on here's kind of the output, like here's all the things that you love about Disney, like what went into making them, which, which again, I mean, that's obviously, you know, something that's very interesting and to see, okay, you know, when Disney creates things, there's music behind it, there's sound effects and, and, you know, then they build animatronics and theme parks and stuff like that. But that first thing, like with Laughogram Studios, that was the company before Disney that failed, that pushed Walt to move to California and join Roy to join Roy and, and kind of start the Disney Brothers Studio, and that really kicked off Disney. So maybe that's why they mentioned that. But I feel like, as we've talked about, you know, the Walt Disney Company, the trajectory was not just straight up. I mean, there's definitely ups and downs. Movies that that we think of classics today did not maybe do out the box office and were not well received initially, but over time became classics. And I feel like they could have maybe done more of that in the historical context of the company that there were challenges along the way. Um, Because I think that adds additional context of 
like Disneyland. Like, hey, Walt wanted to build Disneyland, but it wasn't just as simple as, okay, we're going to build Disneyland and it's this massive success automatically. Like, it, it took some more behind that or even making these movies. So I would have liked to have seen a little bit more of that, um, but that's not something that they really necessarily highlighted a lot uh, over in the exhibition overall. Yeah, I feel like, you know, there were, there were allusions to it. I mean, there were definitely places. I'm pretty sure I saw this quote in there where it says, it is good to have failure while you're young because it teaches you so much. But I do think that they, they definitely didn't dwell on it. But I think that that is maybe part of the narrative. And I'm sure they had to pare down what they really wanted to represent so much. And they had to try to distill it into, you know, these little areas. But I do think one thing that a lot of people know about Walt Walt Disney, like even people who aren't huge Disney fans, one of the runners that I follow just mentioned on her podcast that, you know, Walt Disney famously failed. And she thought that that was so inspiring that he did that. So a lot of people know that about him, but I don't think a lot of people know to what extent and, you know, we know, we know about it only because we've researched it to do our Disney decades. And so I think that that would be a really interesting, you know, little, I mean, even if they had one whole wall dedicated, you know, to like, hey, these are some of the failures that the, that went, the company went through in order to kind of get where it is. I think that that story, that thread is something that definitely needs to be woven into the story of the company. And I also think, again, it's it's really good because people are going to come. They're going to bring their kids. It's good for kids to see that because kids have a really hard time grasping that you aren't just perfect when you start. You have to work for it. You're going to fail. They really struggle with that idea. So I think kind of showing that through one of the most successful companies and people of all time is a really nice way of kind of wrapping that up in a bow and and kind of feeding that to them. No, I, I completely agree. And I think there, you know, there were some things like, like there was one, uh, you know, talking about Disneyland, it, which I found interesting. I mean, it showed kind of how all in Walt was on Disneyland and some of his stuff. Again, it didn't necessarily show a struggle, um, but it just kind of showed how dedicated he was to his vision. And I think that that is definitely the, the kind of line that they took in this overall kind of in this exhibition of Walt as a visionary, which he was, and 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 he was dedicated and kind of focused in moving the mediums forward and creating things that weren't possible before, which I really enjoyed because you know I don't think a lot of people realize how influential Walt was in getting like synchronized sound in movies and and having new sound systems in movie theaters and the things he did to move animation forward like with the multiplane camera and other things like that and, and audio animatronics that that's kind of the line they took and it was really interesting i thought the multiplane camera demonstration was really interesting they had a little model of like a small model of what the multiplane camera was and then a video that accompanied it and it helped me to kind of understand more what that was and how that actually helped to create depth in scenes like Beauty and the Beast. And I didn't realize, not Beauty and the Beast, Sleeping Beauty. And I didn't realize how revered that movie was, but I saw in a couple different places that they called it, you know, their most beautiful movie. So that was really interesting to kind of see how they used that. Jumping back to Disneyland again, just how all in Walt was on this, because I just want to read this quote really quick, because on it, they talked about starting the Disneyland park. And they mentioned that Walt borrowed on his life insurance and sold his vacation home. Uh, along with partnering with ABC television to fund Disneyland. So I did not realize that, that he kind of like 
almost put his like life savings into this because he believed in the Disneyland park so much. Uh, but he, he was really all in it. So I think again, that kind of, you know, line was very fascinating to see. Yes. The technological advances, seeing the multiplane camera in action. I kind of like you, I had an idea how it worked, but I've never actually seen footage and they had archival footage of Walt explaining it and them using it. Uh, and it, it was pretty amazing to see that kind of stuff and just see how all in Walt was. The one thing that was really interesting, and I, and I would actually love to see this, if there's a book that exists about a Lillian Disney, I would love to know about that because they, I don't know if anywhere it mentioned Walt's wife. And I mean, she had to have been the most supportive wife ever because she let them put a train in their backyard. Yeah. And I would never let you do that. Exactly. <laughs> but like the number of times he went all in with all of everything that they did. But I mean, either she really just really believed in him or she was down there like just angry all the time. I, mean, I will say he turned know. out to be right. He was most right. of the time. So, I mean, it, it worked out well. I mean, I feel like he was an expert salesman, so he probably you, yeah. was able to sell her on the ideas too. You but. have a couple successes. I mean, people just start to, okay, I'll, I'll go along with it. It seems to work out in the end. Uh, t- taking a step back really quickly, because if you've you know not had the chance to go to the exhibit yet, one thing you may have seen because Disney released it a day or two before the exhibition actually opened was this Walt hologram. And so Walt greets <laughs> you at the beginning. So we knew going in, um, this was going to happen. I thought it'd be much more like pomp and circumstance. They basically just, okay, go ahead in. And this thing's just, it's constantly running. I thought maybe they would do it in groups. Um, but obviously with a large number of people, they can't do that. So it kind of just keeps running on a loop. I mean, it's a hologram. It's a, it's more of a projection. Like I know people yeah, were like, Oh, it, it seems off. Like there was definitely debate on, Oh, it's, it doesn't seem like Walt would actually act. He's maybe a little bit too, uh, more animated um, than he typically was on film, but it's built from archival footage of Walt uh, and video of him. But yeah, it's, it's basically a projection. It's not like, you know, holograms like they've done with like, I think they've done like Tupac. a Michael Jackson yeah. and Tupac where they're dancing, you know, they're performing on stage, stuff like that. It's very much of like, okay, it's a projection. I mean, it's a cool thing. It's yeah. cool to see Walt. I don't know that I would have thought, oh my gosh, they recreated Walt for this because mm-hmm. I mean, even what he was saying could very much be probably be taken from the numerous TV shows he did about Disneyland and stuff. So that's like a stuff. complete like reconstruct. They they made this. That's what it sounds. Yeah, like they took archival footage yeah, and video and kind of pieced it together. Without and, you telling me that right now, I just yeah. assumed it was something that like I I mean I I didn't pay that much attention to. You could walk right by it very yeah, easily. Yeah, that's the thing. Yeah, you could you could very easily pass it or you could be in the middle of it. It's only like a minute thing, so if you miss it, again it plays. But it definitely was cool. You know, I think it's it's neat to see it in person, but it's not something that like completely blew me away of like yeah this super crazy hologram i think it looks i think it probably looks cooler on film it looks more of like a hologram type you know thing if if you video it if you're there it's just kind of like a projection but it's cool but that that is a neat way to kind of welcome you in and just to mention we mentioned there's 10 galleries so the the different galleries are in order where it all began so again that's starting with kind of like the laughogram studio oswald Mickey, that sort of stuff. Where do the stories come from? That kind of ties into the inspiration for like the grim fairy tales, those sort of things, the inspiration for the stories for Disney, the illusion of life that starts getting into the animation and the creation of the stories, the spirit of adventure and discovery. 
uh, I believe that's where like the Jungle Cruise items are and the Nautilus from 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. The Magic of Sound and Music, um, which was probably one of my favorite galleries. That one was was really cool. Yeah, we can come circle back and talk about that in uh, a minute. The World Around Us that touched on the nature documentaries and things of Disney nature that have happened. Uh, innovations, that starts to get into the animatronics, which was, was probably my favorite gallery. Your Disney World, that's the parks. The Wonder of Disney, that was more of like a in hodgepodge yeah, yeah yeah it was kind of like it, it's towards the end so that one was a smaller gallery uh, and then we were just getting started and that's just kind of like hey this is where we're forward. going they had some trailers for like elemental and guardians of the galaxy 3 of like mm-hmm. hey this is these are the movies that are coming up and then as always with any disney experience you exit through the gift shop so very good a, move there there was a gift shop um at the end but yeah so th- those are the 10 galleries so yeah i mean maybe touching on what some of our our favorites were the magic of sound and music was really good because the one thing that was surprising is there's a lot of interactive features throughout the exhibition, but the coolest ones were the sound where mm-hmm. you could put on headsets and you could listen to the music or how they did the sound effects. That was extremely interesting to me. Yeah. So they got more in depth on the Foley artistry and they kind of, you know, for some, there was like a whole little corner where they actually had videos that accompanied the actual things that they were using to create certain sound effects. So for example, the one that I thought was really the the coolest was it was just basically a bundle of like little bamboo sticks. And when it's twisted, it sounds like the crackling of fire and they used it in Bambi to create like the fire scene, which was really, really interesting. But my favorite part was the different Disney songs and Uh, different languages so it started uh, like there was one for how far I'll go there's one that was a compilation of I think frozen songs and there was also we don't talk about Bruno and that was just absolutely incredible how you could kind of some of them would allow you to switch between the different languages and then the the frozen video showed you the actual singer singing in all these different languages and it just blows me away how many people just have such beautiful voices and that almost sound as good like they sound as good as id uh idina manzel manzel's voice well what was amazing was on up so like on the moana one for instance how far ago is it was the song and then it would just switch every line or two to a different yeah. language and, and so it would tell you the language at the bottom so it started in english and then it just moved through all the different languages so it was all about how again disney is this global brand how these movies and songs and everything that we love are spread throughout the globe and they are put into the various languages and how you know the, the it works like i think that's the thing that that surprised me is how seamlessly it went from one language to another like and how the far the mouth ago. didn't even really look that far yeah, off yeah, which like, was crazy like like the way yeah like the way they they cut it together that the the music's the same even even though words are different in different languages it still fits with the rhythm and the melody of the song and just how seamlessly it went from one to another it was fascinating to see that to your point i mean all the singers were great again it was it was so seamless but i think that was the thing i was just most amazed by is how how seamless it it, it went through like 15 or 20 different languages and this song it just it worked perfectly and you 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 still know the song because you're so familiar with the song like you you can kind of sing along with it and it makes still makes sense 
Yeah, I, I would be. This kind of makes me interested in doing. I think we did this a while ago. Another one of those videos where we do uh, a Disney song translated into another language, then translated back into English, because I just think like they have to change the words some, you know, they have to change some of the words, some of the ideas to make them fit with the music. And like, you know, an example of this was the other day I was watching Physical 100 on Netflix and I so happen to have closed captioning, but also the dubbing on and almost every single thing that they said was different. Like when I was reading on the screen and what they were saying with the dubbing was different. And so it made me kind of like, it kind of like related back to this idea, like with these Disney things, just, you know, they're saying such vastly different things that even the dubbing and the, and the closed captioning don't match up. So I just thought that was really, really interesting. And it kind of made me wonder what is the, the difference? Like, I'm sure that like the overall meaning of the song is the same, but what they have to say, they're, they're going to have to tweak it. Joe also mentioned the different interactive things that were in the displays. And I thought that that was really interesting. There was a, like a little wheel that you kind of you could actually search the different Disney parks and you can turn the wheel and actually kind of hone in on all of the different parks and see some of their like flagship rides. I thought that was really cool and a different way than even like browsing it online. Um, so I thought that was a, one of my favorite little displays that was interactive. Yeah, that was a cool way to see all the of the parks. Mm -hmm. You know, again, we've not been to every park. You know, I mean, we haven't been to, to Hong Kong or Shanghai um, and there's a lot of people that have not been probably outside of Walt Disney World. Right. And so it was an interesting thing that, yeah, you could go in, you could pick a park, you could then pick a land. And it gave you a little bit of detail about, you know, this is what this is the resort. This is kind of when it started. This is this is what the land's about. This is, you know, how it's similar, how it's different to the other parks. And you could drill into the individual attractions and and see a little bit on that. Um, and it was interesting because. Like looking at Hong Kong, you know, I kind of forgot some of the attractions they have of like their version of like Big Thunder Mountain Railroad. Like they don't have that. It's it's like that Grizzly Gulch, I think, which is kind of like a mix of that uh, of Big Thunder Mountain and like Expedition Everest all together. Like, and that's I forgot that that was there, and I was like, oh yeah, like that's supposed to be really cool. And just seeing all those different things um, was a really neat reminder of all that. And like Shanghai's castle being the biggest Disney castle, I mean, it just looks absolutely incredible and they also pointed out like the different little touches on the castle that make it uniquely Chinese I can't remember exactly what it was but there was some emblem on the top of one of the like the little flags I can't remember what they're called but it was like the Chinese symbol for like luck or something like that it, it was just a really interesting thing to see and be able to view the parks that way and it kind of gave you like a really nice highlight reel and made me really excited to hopefully one day make it to the, the Chinese parks because they look incredible. And another thing that I really enjoyed was, uh, first of all, loved the Porg. That was, I think, my sneak favorite that thing. That looked like a real animal. Yeah, it looked like a real taxidermized animal. And that was what made me I'm like, starting to wonder if Porgs are real. Yeah, like, did I'm they concerned. not? Did they make them? Do they live in the center of the earth somewhere? And they just like kind of took one out because it, they covered it in feathers. And even like the teeth looked real. Like it just, it looked like a real animal. It was, it was nuts. You, you could not help but stare at it. Cause no. like it was, it was somewhat disconcerting yes. and fascinating at the same time of like, yeah, it, it looked like that. That was almost like you're at a museum yes. of like that. Yeah. Like if you go to museums when and they have 
tigers or something that you know like natural history museums have animals it kind of looked like that could be in a natural history museum and people would think that that was a real animal you could confuse people by putting that in a natural history museum when we were in france we went to a museum that was all like taxidermied animals you if you snuck porg that in porg in there would everyone would be like oh that's an animal i've never seen before i want to do that now i, I, I want to sneak too. that porg into specifically that that museum french museum in france, because there were so many animals there that you could very easily sneak that in there. And I don't even know that anybody would notice because there was like a room where there was just like 50 animals all together and you could have a port. Like, oh, what is that? <laughs> are, you talking about, are you talking about the, the Africa exhibit? Yeah, it was like the safari. There was just a ton of animals all packed. Yeah, in there. It, that that museum was insane. It was I, it was it was really interesting. So we, t- we talked about the pork, like the, the movie props and kind of like the movie magic side of things was probably my favorite part of the exhibition, that and the animatronics. So I'm definitely somebody that likes the behind the scenes sort of stuff. So I like to see that of the movie props. They had a lot of costumes from the different movies. So how they make the movies and then seeing the history of animatronics. So they had kind of like the original board that they used for, I'm guessing it was Abe Lincoln or some of the early animatronics where there's basically an image of a person on there and there's different knobs for like, okay, move the foot, move the arm for whenever they're programming it. So to see that, and then they have what they currently have and it's a you know very streamlined board with just USB plugs in there and you just hit a couple buttons and then that programs it. Seeing that sort of stuff, that was really interesting and cool to me. I wish they would have had some more on the animatronics. Um, they had one where like you're supposed to be able to make the hand move. You but can it, move the thumb, but the fingers yeah, didn't. Like, it, there were a couple things there that really were work. buggy. Yeah, it didn't really work really well. So I would have liked to have seen like more of that, but it was interesting to see you know, they had like a model of like one of the original heads for an animatronic and the new one. And I will say like, I, I don't know if it was one of the presidents or somebody from like Pirates of the Caribbean, one of these original heads, but like the teeth were so realistic in the animatronic head. That's what kind of startled me because there's no skin or anything on it. And they have, you know, part of the face away so you can see the mechanics behind it. But the teeth were like super realistic. Um, so it was interesting to see that that close up because you never really get to see those animatronics that closely. Yeah, that was freaky because <laughs> I think anytime you see the animatronics without their skins on and you see all the inner workings, it's it's very weird. But I did really enjoy at least being able to move the thumb on the animatronic because uh, it was just kind of cool. I think they had a knob that you turned to open and close it. But I particularly kind of going back to the costumes that you mentioned, I really enjoyed seeing like Emily Blunt's costume from the Jungle Cruise. And also they have a whole wall of like all of the Marvel helmets and they have the Black Panther suit. That was so cool to see those up close. It was interesting to see that like the little areas where some of the, the helmets were a little rougher than I remembered, like Loki's helmet. I think it was one of the early ones. Like the top of it like even had like little screws it looked like in it. So it was just really cool to see those props up close. With the exception of touching them, like it, it was just, it, it felt very like intimate. I, I, I enjoyed that part. Yeah. And I will say with, with all of this stuff, and I think this is, you know, one issue that I have with sometimes like museums or even like the Louvre, like there's almost so it's too much stuff. Like when, mm. when, when we were in France, when we visited the Louvre, it's so big, you can get lost in it. But like after, you know, five hours of walking around and they're like, oh, there's another famous painting by somebody. Like you, you kind of almost get numb to it to a certain extent. I know that's a terrible thing to say because 
it all is very historic and it all is very famous and it's beautiful artwork and things like that. But it's like you kind of just it, to a certain extent, like your, your brain just like I can't handle any more of it. And you know, I was worried about that of like, are they going to have too much stuff in here? Like that you just kind of be like, oh, I, I don't care anymore. Like, oh, great. This is another <laughs> Disney you know artifact. But I think the fact that they do these galleries because it kind of was like a refresher. So like once it was you like left, a thesis statement for each yeah, particular area. Yeah, and once you left one, it was completely different. So again, you know, the the one about the parks, you know, your Disney World where they had, you know, ride vehicles and things, it was distinctively different than the music where that was more interactive and and you could listen to things and that was focused on music. So it was it was a nice like refresher each gallery went into that it was different enough that it was kind of like your brain wasn't like, Oh, here's more Disney stuff again. It was, Oh no, this is something it's still Disney, but it's something completely different in a different packaged in a different way that it kept you engaged and kind of entertained throughout the entire exhibit, which I thought was really well done. Yeah. I, you know what, now that you put it that way, that was a really good point because I didn't really think about that, but you're right. If it would have just been, you know, here's one big gallery and everything, you know, it's kind of it's all about Disney, so that's the, th- the the thing that ties it together. The fact that they broke it up into these smaller bits, it did sort of kind of keep you guessing. Oh, what are they going to go into next? And it really kind of helped to focus you in on what what that particular gallery gallery is about. And kind of, I feel like there's a little bit more depth in there. Again, the music one sticks out to me because. I just think that, you know, for me, Disney, a lot of the things that appeal to me about Disney are musically related. That's why I love the Tiki Room so much. Just that song is is such a earworm and it's so good. But, um, you know, even like that gallery also had versions of like songs that weren't released from Snow White. And I mean, that was really cool. Yeah, it had sheet I, music. Like yeah, unreleased sheet music. Yeah, yeah, I actually gave, I, I sent the picture to our band director and I was like, hey, check this out. See if it's like a different version of the song because I can't read music but it it would be really interesting if it's like I I was just curious how different it is from what was actually released definitely so if you're interested in visiting some tips um, to think about so we went uh, again opening day which was obviously very crowded that whole weekend was sold out but we got the uh, first time so you basically whenever you buy a ticket there are timed tickets. If you want to buy an untimed ticket, it's like twice as much money. So yeah. I definitely wouldn't recommend doing that. I would try to buy a time ticket. They also have evening uh, tickets available. That's after the Franklin Institute closes. So you can't do anything else at the Franklin Institute, which there's a lot of fun stuff to do, especially if you have kids or even if you don't have kids, there's a planetarium. There's some science demonstrations. Like <laughs> We had a lot of fun exploring. Although if you want to go to the planetarium, go early. you have to go way early. Yeah. The yeah, line was too long for us to actually go to anything. Yeah. And I don't know if it was because it was, again, it was so crowded because it was sold out all weekend because of Disney. I think there were a lot of people there, but I, I definitely would recommend a time ticket. Definitely would recommend going early as one. early as possible. Mm-hmm. So we were the first one. We actually got there before uh, it, it opened when the museum opened. So we were there before the museum opened and we were like the third or fourth group in line uh, yeah. to get in, which made it really nice. So we were one of the first people into the exhibit and it was not that crowded. We were able to kind of easily walk around, yeah, go can, go see the different things. Freely. We kind of walk back to different galleries. Like we're like, oh hey, I, there was something I I, I want to go back and see. We're able to walk back pretty freely. It was easy. I think it took us probably about two and a half hours to go through everything. We probably 
could have taken three hours if we were maybe a little bit slower, went back and read some more signs. Yeah, um, I didn't read almost any of the signs. I took pictures of all of them with the intention of reading them later. Yeah. So, I read a few of them. But, but I think if, if you go, it's probably going to take you at least two hours to walk through everything. If you want to have a good experience, if you really want to take a really detailed look, you could probably spend three, three and a half hours. But definitely would recommend early because um, we actually met up with our friend Becky, she had a later ticket in the afternoon and she mentioned it was basically like one giant queue line uh, <laughs> waiting for an attraction and it took hours to go through and it was kind of like single file line, people just slowly going through it, which was a completely different experience than what we had. And mm-hmm. our experience, I think, was we were like, this is great. We love it. She kind of came out of it like it was it was fun, but like there were too many people there. So yeah. definitely you want to try to get as early as you possibly can. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree. I mean, and it kind of it kind of goes with the whole parks thing too. You know, like whenever you go to the parks, if you go early, you tend to kind of beat the crowds and the people who, you know, a lot of times probably have kids that they're trying to get up and get moving. So yeah, get up there, get out early. And then that way, hopefully you can beat the crowds. And again, I mean, it was President's Day weekend too. So maybe some people like we like traveled to get there. So maybe there are a lot of people coming in from out of town. Um, but I know that they people in line said that the parking lot for the Franklin Institute does get really crowded. So um, we had a really easy time finding parking. But again, I think it's because we were there before. We were there probably, what, an hour before it opened, 45 minutes before it opened. Yeah, somewhere around there. Yeah. yeah so we had we pulled into like one of the first spaces that there was available, um, which was pretty much everyone. Um, so, yeah, that, that's a definite suggestion. And I just think that, you know, if you're if you're going to if you want to go to some to this, leave yourself enough time to go around. Like you were saying, go around the Franklin Institute. It is a really interesting place. They have a giant human heart that you can walk through, which was really interesting. And I would love I want to go back to go to the planetarium because I think that some of the shows were really interesting. And they had a a couple other interactive shows like we saw a show about plasma. Really enjoyed it. I think that if you are close enough that you can get there and uh, drive, awesome. If you want to make a trip out of it and maybe go to New York City as well and see a show, do it because it is a really cool gallery and a really cool experience. And again, it's going to be going to Chicago and Kansas City. So if you can't get to Philadelphia, Chicago or Kansas City is closer to you. You can always wait uh, for it to come out there. But I definitely think if you're somebody that's interested in, in Disney history, it's it's a Definitely a must do. If you're somebody that, again, you love Disney and you're interested to see what goes into making your favorite movies or the theme parks or kind of just the history of the company, I think it's well worth it. So I think, yeah, if it's something you can get to, I definitely think it's, it's worth checking out. All right, but that wraps up our show for this week. I want to thank everybody again for listening. If you've not done so, please leave us a rating or a review. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. It really helps, and we really appreciate it. Thanks for lending us your ears. Have a great week, everybody, and we'll see you here next Monday. Bye-bye.